It's the first Monday of the month, and on the first Monday of the month, we respond to your questions with resources and suggestions on how you can lead more effectively. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 216. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you to develop your leadership skills. And if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. The first Monday of the month, Bonnie and I get together and respond to all the questions that have come in over the last month. And Bonnie, I'm glad to have you back. It seems like we were just here last week for the first Monday in October. I do not know how it's November already. It's silly season around our house. Silly season indeed. Because you're in the midst of grading and it's the fall and there's lots of stuff going on and kids and school and all that. And, and you're about to go to the doctor after we stop recording. I am. I am. There's uh it's just it's one thing after the other. Are you gonna share what your potential <laughs> No, I'm not going to share. Because I A, I really don't think people care and B, I think I should probably get some medical advice. Uh instead of just looking at pictures on the internet. Instead of just looking at pictures on the internet. And I just don't think it's that interesting to people regardless, mm-hmm. and it's not anything terribly serious even no, if it is what no, I think it is. So you're going to be okay. Yep. I'll be just fine. And, uh, and you will be just fine as well too, because you tuned into the show today and we're going to hopefully provide you with some uh, thoughts and resources and ideas on new ways to approach leadership based on some of the questions that have come in, in the last month. And, uh, by the way, as you're listening and thinking you may have a question as well, you can submit that to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And that is a great way for your question to be considered for a future episode. And uh, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Bonnie's going to read the first question here that came in from William. William writes, I've been working at the same area, customer service for two years and nine months. I really like my job and I have a better performance comparing with my coworkers who are older than me. How do you see the integration between people from different generations at work How can I improve my influence with people more experienced than I? Is there any tip for people like me who need to contact professionals from different cultures at work? And Dave, I know you wanted me to toss in my ideas. And boy, this question is just packed with... (laughs) Lots of information that we, some of which we have addressed actually in prior shows. I know, Dave, one of the things I wanted to recommend up front is that someone that you've had on the show in the past, Chip Espinoza, just came out with a brand new book that might be helpful to William, and that is called Millennials Who Manage. And a lot of times we are put into positions where we get into leadership roles and we might be younger than other people we're managing. I think that would be a great resource based on what Chip has shared with me about the book. And Dave, I know you have a couple of past episodes to share about as well, and some other resources. I am going to pass it over to you, and then I might just have a quick thing to say at the end. Yeah, I wanted to say, first of all, in thinking about this question, William, thank you so much for sending it in, is when thinking about influencing people who have more experience, or, and you mentioned the different generations at work, this has been a very this has been a big topic of conversation over the last decade in many of the organizations that we've worked with, at least here in North America. And I suspect the same is true around the world too. And it 
Before we get into some of the resources, I, I found I tracked down this quote, which is uh, is commonly attributed to Socrates or Plato, but it actually isn't from either of them. It's from a researcher back at the early part of last century, and he says the counts of the. This is, by the way, a quote about children. He says the counts of the indictment are luxury, bad manners, contempt for authority, disrespect to elders, and a love for chatter in place of exercise. Children began to be the tyrants not the slaves of their household. They no longer rose from their seats when an elder entered the room. They contradicted their parents, chattered before company, gobbled up their dainties at the table, and committed various offenses against Hellenistic tastes. Or Hellenetic tastes, I guess, is the right pronunciation. Hellenic. Hellenic. Thank you. Some, some, someone will provide me some English lessons at some point. Uh, the quote's from Kenneth John Freeman. And it, it's just funny to me, like here's a quote from well over 100 years ago that's about the difficulties of working with this generation. And I, I, it's interesting when you look back in history that so many generations have struggled with the same kinds of things that supposedly are new issues for us. Now, there are some things that are different today that were never true before with technology access that we all have and the distribution of knowledge and being accessible to everyone. Uh, but that said, there's there's a lot of similar types of challenges that we see over the different generations. And so a few suggestions that um, I'd have for you, Kenneth, is one, uh, we recommended, I believe this on last, uh, on last month's Q&A show is Robert Cialdini's book uh, on influence. It's a great effective read. I think there's five key areas that he identifies around influence of ways that you can influence folks more effectively. I'd certainly recommend that as a starting point. And I actually had posted a link to a brief video that overviewed that in last month's Q&A show. So I'll link to that in the show as well. I'd also recommend Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's a really, um, that's a great read on how to influence people at whatever framework they're coming from on. Um, but one of the things that I'd also really encourage you to think through is what is it that you can, how can you learn from others? So I, I think one of the dynamics that really has changed with the advent of technology is that, and Chip mentioned this on the show, Bonnie, you mentioned his new book that just came out. He mentioned this on the show when he was on last year. He said, you know, this is the first generation that's coming into the workforce now that didn't need to go to an authority figure either in as a parent or a, t- or a teacher or someone in authority in order to get access to knowledge and information. Now all of that's available on the internet, or at least much of it. And so the dynamic is very different in how this generation views power and views positions of authority than was different in the world that many of us grew up in. And so that's an important dynamic to understand and appreciate because the knowledge is out there. So um, more and more, the workplaces that I found that have navigated this well are really starting to look at at this from a standpoint of it's no longer the more senior person is just there to mentor and to teach the more junior person. That organizations that are thinking forward on this are starting to look at how can both generations and both levels of experience teach each other. And I think a good example of this is Jack Welch uh, from GE. He first coined the term, at least first that I know, of reverse mentoring. And he was noticing this dynamic at GE when he was uh, the CEO of how the folks who were coming into the organization and the younger generations were actually teaching, or at least had the ability to teach a lot to the leadership team. And so one of the requirements he instituted in mentoring meetings with his senior team was that a good portion of the meeting was spent 
of them asking questions of the people they were mentoring and doing what he called reverse mentoring, of taking time in that relationship to learn and to grow and to understand where the other party was coming from. And I think that you have the opportunity, William, to do this as well, is if you want to influence, influence, first of all, comes from a place of trust. And you establish trust by understanding first where the other party's coming from. So I think if you start with a framework from Carnegie and from Cialdini of first understanding where people are coming from and taking the time to understand what it is that they have the ability and the experience to teach you, I think that opens up a lot of doors for you then to be able to influence uh, in more formal ways. One question I would really encourage you to start asking is to, is to inquire, is there anything I can do to support the work on one of the major initiatives that you know that the department's working on? Taking that initiative to bring up that you want to contribute. Sometimes people don't always realize that the resource is there and they, they might miss that. It's a good question to, to start asking. You don't ask it every single day because at the same time, you also want to make sure that you're showing that you're busy and you've got things going on. But it's wonderful to start planting those seeds with yourself as a resource. I would be looking for opportunities to challenge yourself. I had a former student who was really bored for about a year in her first job out of school. And she could have done all the temptations going on Facebook, going on Instagram. There would have been many opportunities for her to not use her time wisely in that way. But instead, what she did was really create a development plan for herself so that when the time came that she started to have those opportunities for taking on greater responsibility, she had leapfrogged over many of her colleagues because she was subscribed to all the industry publications. And when she wasn't being challenged by the people that she reported to, she challenged herself. My last recommendation is to look at some of the stereotypes of people in your generation. They aren't all going to be true, maybe even about your generation as a whole, but specifically about you as a person. But recognize you have to fight against a reputation that's been built for you by other people. And almost going to the extreme by deciding which of those do you really want to not brand yourself as and, and what would you like to be known for? And to me, I would like to be known as someone who is a good steward of the company's resources. So I would never want it to look like I was essentially being paid to not do my job. <laughs> I'd, I'd want to be showing that I offer a lot of value to the company for the pay that I receive. And a lot of that does mean staying off of the devices, staying off of sites I shouldn't be on, that type of a thing. It's those little things. They seem so inconsequential. It's just five minutes here, five minutes there. But boy, one glance can start to reinforce the stereotypes that, again, other people may have earned for you. Well, thank you, William, for the question. I hope that's helpful to you. The next question is from Tammy. And Tammy actually posted the Spani on the Coaching for Leaders website. And she had read my article, which I'll link to in the show notes, called Five Ways to Address a Hostile Audience. And that's an article on what are the things you can do when you know you're going into a tough situation with perhaps your leadership team or a customer, and uh, they're not necessarily on the same page that you are. And she zeroed in on one of the recommendations that I made in that article, which is to eliminate surprises and specifically to eliminate surprising um, people with bad news, particularly in front of a large group uh, when a when a large meeting's happening. And uh, she wrote in and said, I can see how alerting the group to bad news before the meeting could be good. Uh, but if they have time to stew over it, won't they even be more resistant to the idea when they come to the meeting? 
I'm in a position where I'm having to get a group of people to do something that they did not want to do and did not see the value in. How do I get buy-in? I'm passionate about it, but my group is very resistant and will not listen to my ideas without the whole meeting turning into an argument instead of a productive meeting. And I responded to her on the website, uh, but I thought that this question would also be helpful for us to tackle here. And so one is uh, check out the article if that's in the situation that you're in of handling things where you have hostile audiences. But generally speaking, Tammy, uh, and I mentioned this online too, is that when you want to really look at where the decision points are made when tough decisions need to be made or tough situations are happening. And I think the mistake that a lot of people make who are not as experienced in influencing or navigating organizational politics is the assumption that decisions happen. And I'm not saying this is true for you, Tammy, but I think for a lot of people, this is the assumption that decisions happen at the meeting, that a a big customer meeting's happening and the decision happens right there, or that a big leadership team meeting is happening and the decision happens right there. If there's something that you know about that's going to be controversial or that people are not going to be the same on the same page you are and you want to influence change on that. I think it's a mistake most of the time to wait until that meeting to try to bring up the topic and to maybe even surprise people about that during the meeting. You're better off on spending time prior to that meeting or that interaction of engaging individuals who are key parts of that team or that relationship or that customer and taking the time to understand their perspective, explaining your perspective, and seeing if you can move the needle a bit on how you're influencing. Because then they come to the meeting where the decision will maybe be formally made, where they're already thinking and understanding the issue fully versus you just surprising them with new information. And I think that there's a lesson, uh, speaking of silly season, it's silly season here again in the United States. We're well into presidential politics here every four years. And I think there's a lesson we can all learn from politicians, though, is that politicians don't really spend any time trying to convince people to vote for them who are on the opposite side of the political spectrum. What they do is they spend time with their key supporters in um, in getting funding, but then they also spend a lot of time with people who are undecided and on the fence. And I think that that's a smart way to approach how you navigate organizational politics, too, is you spend time identifying who are the people who are already your supporters and then and 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 asking them for advice and guidance and counsel on how you can influence others in the organization and then you spend your time with the people who are the fence sitters who may be swayed um and you don't spend as much time or hardly any time with people that may never be swayed unless that's one of the key people that you have to bring on board and i think if you you do that behind closed doors and you do that before big meetings happen because then you know where you stand and if you if where you stand is in a place where you're not going to get you're not going to get movement forward. Um, why spend the political capital and the time and make people uncomfortable in a larger meeting? Um, why not figure that out in advance? And it, or the better case scenario is you find out in advance that you do are able to sway people in the organization, and then you, they come to that meeting uh, a little bit more predisposed to be able to consider your action forward. So uh, so that's generally how I look at this. And, and I know the people who have I've worked with and clients before have, have found that to be a helpful approach. Bonnie, anything you'd like to add to that that you found has been helpful in navigating some of these tough situations? You asked the question, how do I get buy-in? As cold as this may sound, you won't. 
the best that you can hope for is compliance. If you have a group of people who are resistant so much to something that you are trying to implement, and you really have to decide what is it worth to you? What's the cost? Because we look at decisions and effective decisions are defined not just by the quality of the decision, but also to the extent that people accept that decision. And you can be setting yourself up to really be in a position where failure is a real thing, a real potential in a situation like this, because the people who are supposed to implement the decision, if they don't believe in it, will be looking for every opportunity to say, see, I told you so. Mm. I would be very cautious and really considering how important is this decision? What kind of impact is it going to have in the company? And recognizing that if, if the best that you can hope for is compliance, better be a decision that's pretty easy to implement because you're not going to have the buy-in that you're looking for. You're just going to have compliance and compliance comes with a lot of potential for micromanagement. And it's just, it's messy. So I would, I would really, really think hard about how much it's worth to you and, and what a difference it's going to have on the organization. Our next question is from Andrew. I'm a university admissions counselor, which means I work with students from their initial contact slash application all the way through to seeing them register in their program. It's essentially a sales job, targets, travel, and a lot of phone calls, emails, and presentations. It turns out I'm very good at my job and I have not yet failed to meet my goals. It is, however, a very cyclical job, and I'm just starting my third cycle. The problem is I'm getting pretty bored answering the same questions over and over. I suspect my introverted and ADD personality are culprits in this. Do you have any suggestions on how to stay fresh and engaged with prospects when it's so repetitive? One of the things that I would encourage you to do is to maybe play some games with yourself and make it a little bit fun. I used to teach the same eight hour Microsoft Excel class on a pretty regular basis. And I would have a little bit of fun where I'd look a word up in the dictionary and try to use it a few times in class in a context and not make note of why I was using a particular word, actually make it fit into the class. And that was really fun for me to do. I was constantly trying to come up with different examples. I would think if there's any way that you can start to have a database or something of common questions and get people to be using some kind of technology to get their questions answered. Maybe that gets you on a project team for people at your university that are looking to do just that. That would be something that would cause some variety in your position. And it sounds like you really do things with excellence and just know that three years in an admissions role doing things with excellence, if you really challenge yourself to learn the field of admissions, there are a lot of higher up positions that you could absolutely get from having been an admissions counselor. As long as you maintain your commitment to excellence and you're hungry for always learning about the admissions world all the vocabulary, all the new technology, all the new laws, all of those external factors that have an impact. And I would really challenge you to be looking outside your organization if you don't already do this. Is there any kind of an association that you might consider joining? That would be something that would help you get an outside look, which would allow you to know what kinds of opportunities might be next for you in your career. If your particular university, maybe that's not the place that you move up, but maybe somewhere else at another university. Any university out there today has admissions, and there are a lot of very senior roles that are very lucrative for people who become experts in this arena. 
I love all those suggestions. And I was thinking back to Bonnie, what you said a minute ago about the first question of the the student who was early in her first professional role and was kind of bored in the workplace for the first year. And rather than sitting back and just, you know, kind of uh, hanging out, she really took that as a challenge to find ways to um, learn and to grow and to read more publications. And so I think that that's a, that's a good thing for you to consider as well, Andrew. And Bonnie also hit on one of the things that I was thinking of uh, when I read your question, which is, um, we, you know, we have a, in my work at Dale Carnegie, one of the sayings we've kind of established in our office is, how do we automate the things we can automate so we can spend more time doing the things that we shouldn't automate? And I think about your role a little bit in that context of that and reading through your question is it sounds like that are, there are some things that come up again and again and again, you're answering the same questions. And like Bonnie said, I wonder if there's some opportunity for you to identify with your organization of how can you automate some of those? What's a frequently asked questions overview or maybe even a, a, a brief video people can watch when they're as part of the intake process? I mean, that would be a really interesting thing to put together that saves not only you time, but saves your entire team time. Um, you know, it's, it goes above and beyond what you're doing and, and makes it more fun, uh, for you and for, and, and provides better service too. So you can then spend more time when you get together with someone, you've already handled the base questions, you know, that most everyone's going to have, you can spend time really getting into the depths of what are things that are really just specific to them. Um, that, that would be a really exciting place to go. And just an example of a way that I've done this of, of, to reframing, like Bonnie was saying, of just kind of reframing how you're approaching things. Um, you know, speaking of repetitive, I, I've worked with Dale Carnegie now for over a decade. And there have been many times that I've gone to classes that are very similar, or I've observed classes, or I've watched one of our instructors, and I've seen the same content again and again and again. And I don't know what made me think to do it two or three years ago, but I was observing a class. It was a two or three hour course. So I was sitting in the back of the room and I was taking notes and and someone said something, one of the participants in a class said something that I thought, wow, that would be a really good article to write on our website or a podcast idea. And so I wrote it down. And then as I was sitting there thinking, I said, I wonder if I just sat here for the next hour and a half or so and listened to the conversation happening in the classroom about what people are struggling with and what they're working on in the workplace right now. And if I started to listen through the lens of how could I produce something that'd be helpful for people, either writing an article or putting something up our website. And I did that. And when I got done, I had six pages of notes just by sitting there and thinking with the intention and thinking through the lens of how can I take what people are saying and then produce some content with it. Now it goes without saying you want to be conscious of you know confidentiality and your organization's policies, procedures for that. Um, but it, even if you don't, even if you're not going to utilize someone's name or their situation specifically, a lot of times if you're having similar kinds of conversations, you can start to um, utilize those conversations to inspire thinking you may do on what you would put together, or maybe even write a book on experiences of helping people who are coming into school for the first time to navigate those situations, and and you could. Uh, and there's so much you could do with that. So I think it's a key, the, one of the key things is how you can approach it from a just your mental framework of what's next. How can you utilize what you're hearing in this time to better yourself, better the students you're working with, and also to better the organization. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, I hope that's helpful for you, Andrew, and getting a few ideas on how you can uh, navigate that even more effectively. The next question here is from Sylvia. Sylvia emailed me and said, I've recently been promoted. I'd appreciate your input 
on what I should use for presentations. I'd like to become creative and innovative in my presentations. Please let me know what you believe is the best product to accomplish my goal. And I emailed her back, Bonnie, and I said, well, tell me a little bit more. Is it software you're looking for or just ideas? Um, And she said that she's really looking for more information about interactive technology in presentations. And she also mentioned that she's pretty savvy with PowerPoint and has used that before, but was open to other ideas for that as well. So you actually have a ton of experience doing this in the classroom and having interviewed people who've done this. So I was curious what uh, you thought first. I'm so glad, Sylvia, that you talk about wanting there to be a focus for being interactive in a presentation. So much of the time it's reading to people words off of a PowerPoint or saying different words than are actually on the PowerPoint and attempting to have people read at the same time that they are trying to listen, which is an impossibility. And that's why presentations really get a bad name. And and especially as we, if we do handouts with our slides that also have those things written on them, people start to ask themselves, what on earth am I doing here? This is not a good use of my time. The two resources that have completely transformed the way that I design the visual enhancements for my presentations are Nancy Duarte's book, Slideology, and Gar Reynolds' book, Presentation Zen. They both can be acquired on Amazon for somewhere around $10, and it'll be the best $10 or $20 that you will spend on making your presentations dynamic and engaging. They really emphasize what Dave and I have talked about before on the show, and that is that your slides, in the case of PowerPoint, are there to be enhancing your presentation, not to deliver it. I would even say that some of the time you turn off that projector and you're just speaking from the heart and you're having yourself as your visual aid, your facial expression, your pauses, your inflection in your voice. And then we can bring that PowerPoint slideshow back up again and redirect everyone's attention. And while we're doing that, we are increasing the likelihood that people will just be engaged and and want to pay attention because you're mixing it up a little bit. Even a quick video clip helps with that. And I also encourage that if there is data that needs to be distributed, that you not hand out your PowerPoint slides instead to do what a handout is for as future follow-up with the information that has been presented. So you make a handout and Gar Reynolds has some excellent advice on this on his, in his book, Presentation Zen. I also recommend thinking about how to take data that's important to the people that have come to your presentation and make it visual in some way. And one of the great ways to do that is with an infographic. An infographic, they're becoming so popular today because it's harder for people to really analyze charts and graphs, or not not so much charts, sorry, but but just tables of numbers. And we can draw out from there, make those that data more visual and have that presented to people. So you might consider instead of handing out people your slides, you hand them an infographic with the key quantitative data that was presented by you as a follow-up after that meeting. And in terms of making your presentations truly interactive, I would suggest a website called Poll Everywhere. Poll Everywhere is a polling software where you can ask multiple choice questions, true, false questions, but you also can ask open-ended questions. And the result of those open-ended questions, people can just use their cell phones and text in their responses and they'll show up on the screen and they'll show up However you want them to show up, they can just show up like a a streaming list of 
their comments. Maybe you say, what's the one idea you have to make our annual conference that much better? And, and then people can text in their answers on that. You also can make what's called a word cloud. I recently taught a class and had people type in and respond on Poll Everywhere with three words that they thought the class was going to be about. And then the words that are in common with each other will get larger on the word cloud. And I could really see what people had in common and what some of the differences were and their perspectives about what this class was going to be about. And obviously you're not teaching a, teaching a class, but you could create a word cloud for getting input on any number of things. We have a new product rollout. What are the three words that represent the three most common things you think might go wrong or challenges we might encounter? I mean, there's lots of ways you can use that to engage. And there are ways, a real, they, Poll Everywhere has done such a great job to make it embedded right inside your PowerPoint. So whether you're on Windows or on the Mac, they have a tool to help you embed it right inside of your PowerPoint. I'm looking at the Poll Everywhere site right now, Bonnie, and, and I'm actually thinking this is going to be helpful for me with one of the situations I'm facing. I'm giving a presentation in the not-too-distant future where there are people both online and people present physically. And one of the things we're trying to navigate is how do we, because it's a lot of the webinar software you can set up where you can put polls in that, but everyone has to then be at a workstation or at a computer. And that doesn't work if you've also got people live somewhere. And I was thinking poll everywhere might be a good solution for that because you all people have to have is a, a phone, right? And they can just text in their answer. And if they're present or virtual, whatever, it works anywhere, huh? Yes. And you can have for their free plan, you can have up to 40 people responding per question or per poll. And if you want to go over 40, then you need to get one of their monthly memberships. But what's nice is if you just were going to do it at some large event, say you had 200 people coming together or 2000 people, you can just sign up for one month and then cancel it once your event is over. They don't let you sign up for just a day, but you sign up for the whole month and then you can, uh, that's good too, I think, because then you have time to practice and, and iron out any kinks. So many cool things. It used to be you had to buy the hardware. In fact, we have a set of the hardware clickers where you distribute the heart, the each a clicker physically to each audience member, and you can still use that. But this is this is way cooler now. It's so much easier. I was going to mention one other tool. Once you've read Nancy Duarte's Slideology, and I say read, but it's really like a art book that you could flip through. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. Once you've taken a look at presentations, then you can use a website called Haiku Deck. Dot com, and it allows you to search for pictures that are not restricted by copyright. So you can use them in your presentation and it automatically cites them so that you've given credit to the people that have made that photograph available. And it really does restrict you in a good way for keeping your presentations very visual. And it's a, it's a great tool for getting you started thinking about having more visual presentations, and you can export it into PowerPoint so it's usable to you in a tool you're already familiar with. Well, thank you, Sylvia, so much for the question. And uh, let's see, let's tackle one more question here, Bonnie, from Katie. Katie wrote in with an email and said, I am currently working with my leadership team to identify areas where we can work together to develop our team members, mostly hourly employees who do a lot of processing. Critical thinking is an area that is coming up. I'm wondering if either of you have any advice or can point me to your archive for some tips on critical thinking skills and how to develop them. And Katie actually was sending this note to both me and Tom Henschel from the uh, uh, the Look and Sound of Leadership podcast, Bonnie. So uh, Tom jumped in here as well. And actually, we both sent back almost the same email to her and copied each other. And our question was, what does she mean by critical thinking? We said it a little more uh, detailed than that, but 
that's one of those terms that depending on who's framing the term can mean very different things. And so we'll talk about that in a minute. So here's the email she sent back to us. She said, for this particular situation, I have a group of team members that are hourly and are more repetitive process oriented in their day-to-day activities, but we want them to stretch and grow. Specifically, we're looking for them to use more analytical skills in their work and to question the repetitive process to make better decisions, both individually and as a team to anticipate the needs of their customers, and to always be willing to help others solve problems and to do their best work. Ultimately, I want a team of people that did not just follow orders, but work together to improve their skills and benefit the company. We're dealing with some team members that are highly tenured and have done things in a certain way for a long time, so change is difficult. I'm looking for the tools and resources that will enable me to help them think differently and to go outside the box. Well, thanks a a ton for the question, Katie, and I think that this is your description of this certainly is something I've heard from from many leaders and organizations in the past on how to navigate this. And I know Bonnie's going to have some thoughts on this as well, but um, one of the things, uh, uh, some of our answers from the previous questions will be helpful here too, I think. But one of the things that Bonnie introduced to me a while back, and I was thinking about because it came up in a mastermind conversation earlier this week as well, is um, something that I'd, I'd love to call your attention to. I'm actually going to send you a copy of it Katie, because uh, we've got a few copies that we've purchased. So I'll send you a copy directly. For everyone else, it's called the Performance Analysis Flowchart. And it is from the book Analyzing Performance Problems by Mager and Pipe. And I think Bonnie's mentioned this on the show before, but it is a one-page flowchart flow on when you're when you have a performance problem of all the steps that you want to think through as a leader on how you're going to address that. And the training process is way, 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 way at the bottom of the flowchart. Before you even get there, you're going to be asking yourself some questions on this flowchart. For example, of are the expectations clear? Are the resources you've provided to people adequate? Uh, is the desired performance uh, being punished in some way? Or is poor performance being rewarded in some way? So there's a whole step of, uh, there's a whole process of things that you probably want to ask yourself as a leader before you even get to the point of what you're going to do as far as a training intervention or any other intervention. And so for everyone else, um, I happen to go look at their book on Amazon. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes, Analyzing Performance Problems. And one of the freely viewable pages on the book, the Look Inside link on Amazon, is the performance analysis flowchart. So anyone can get access to it. I'd recommend that as a starting point just to think from a broad standpoint of where you're, how you're approaching this problem and have you done some of the quote unquote, easy things on the front end before you get into some of the detailed things you might do as far as uh, doing a training intervention or organizational change intervention. So that's certainly a resource to start from. And I know uh, Bonnie will have some other suggestions here as well, too, around critical thinking, particularly. One of the tools that quickly came to my mind as I was reading about your question was the use of a decision matrix. That is something that I have done with more entry level type positions that were trying to grow their thinking. And that you see, I'm sure you've seen these decision matrices before where on one side we have the various options that we might consider, but across the top we have our criteria, what's important to us in considering this decision. And then we weigh those things. So how important is this piece of criterion as we look at the broader decision matrix and teaching people to not even start to identify solutions until the criteria has been developed 
for your decision matrix. The first thing is going to be first, what's our goal for in making this decision? But second, what is our criteria that we're going to use in making the decision? This would be a tool that I'd recommend introducing and just starting to use in the real world problems that your group is facing all of the time. That will help them be able to start to do that on their own after the facilitating the use of a tool like this early on. The other thing that I would suggest is that, well, <laughs> when I read your question, I was also thinking Dave showed to me this week a video of the result of a software update to the Tesla vehicles. Oh, yeah. So the even self-driving. If, even if you already owned a Tesla, which by the way, Dave and I do not, <laughs> but even if you already owned one, you didn't have to buy a new one. You you actually just got this downloaded onto your Tesla and now it has become essentially a self-driving car. And Dave, hopefully you can put this in the show notes. The guy that you showed me was an absolute crack up as he sat there in awe, just what my car, it's driving, look, it, I was gonna put the brakes on, but I don't really need to. It was just absolutely so fun to watch him. When you manage and lead a group of people who are doing repetitive processes, it is not that much of a leap of the imagination to say these people could very well be out of a job in the not too distant future. I don't know what industry you're in, I don't know what work that they do. But as we think about artificial intelligence and where our world is headed, it's really an ethical thing for us to consider how do we develop individuals to think more critically. So I commend you for having that focus, not just because it'll be wonderful for your business if you're able to achieve that goal, but also it really does a service to the individuals that you're managing and helping them be able to do that more. I would encourage you, as Dave started out with, to really be thinking about what does it mean to think more critically. And there are some wonderful books and resources out there that you can use to kind of identify what it is that you mean, again, when you say critical thinking. I do have an episode on my teaching in higher ed podcast where I interviewed someone who talked about developing critical thinking in our college students. And that might be helpful to you just as a framework. And there's a handout on the show notes page that looks at some different models for thinking about critical thinking that some of the experts out there have done. That just might be a helpful thing for you to brainstorm a little bit and help you articulate what you mean when you say growing critical thinking. I agree with all that. And one additional thing to point out here is the first email that Katie sent uh, was very broad and, and we asked a follow-up question and mm -hmm. got a lot more details. Yeah. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us in leadership roles is it's it's often the case that people mention things like um, leadership or communication or management or critical thinking and someone one person uh, understands that term to mean one thing one person understands that term to mean another to the show you were just mentioning bonnie you had a, a, an expert on talking about critical thinking uh, I was I think it was that show where some, they'd mentioned that they got a whole bunch of university faculty together in one room mm -hmm. and talked about we're going to have a summit on critical thinking. There was like 25 people there and they ended up having to spend most of the time just defining what critical thinking was because everyone came to the table with a different definition of what that meant. And so um, a reminder for all of us is is to not take terms at face value in leadership. If someone says something like, well, I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better communicator. Is, tell me more. Give me an example of that. And sometimes the example means something really different than the language they may have used, or they just have a different understanding of that vocabulary than you do. And if you'll take the time to understand that in advance, you'll be able to see things from their perspective. And if you do that first, then you can be able to influence their perspective even more effectively. 
Thanks as always to Bonnie for your input. And if you have something you'd like to add into one of the questions as well, maybe an idea, a resource, or maybe a think differently than we do, we hope you'll join the conversation. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash 216. That'll take you to a link with all of the questions that we considered in this show, the resources we mentioned, and also a place for you to add in your thoughts as well. And the next Q&A episode is coming up on episode 221. That'll be the first next first Monday of the month. And if you have a question you would like us to consider for that show, just go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, and we will consider your question. And apologies if we weren't able to get to your question this month. We are holding over a few of them for hopefully to get in next month. So again, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is the best way to do that. And if you are already subscribed to the weekly leadership guide, you will get the links and all the resources mentioned in today's show in your email box on Wednesday. Always include a link to all of the shows at the very bottom of those messages. And in addition, the leadership guide has my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles, podcasts, videos, other resources that will support your development between the shows. So you always see that at the top of the message and then the show notes at the bottom. And if you're like me and you listen while you're on the go, it will be a good way for you to follow up later on the links and resources that we mentioned in the show. And today we mentioned, as we do often on the Q&A shows, a number of books that would be helpful to you. If you're looking for a quick and easy way to start really improving your reading, which is something that I've been looking to do for a while, and I found a good solution for that, and that is listening to Audible. Uh, I would encourage you to check out Audible. It's a great way to listen on the go. If you're a podcast listener, as I know you are, uh, you'll enjoy listening to audiobooks, I think, as well. And if you'd like to try out Audible for a free month, we have a relationship with our friends over at Audible and Amazon. Go over to coachingforleaders.com slash Audible, and that will give you a free month of access to Audible and two free books. So you can download some of the books you've heard about on today's show that'll get you started on your learning. It also will help support the Coaching for Leaders community and podcast. So thank you in advance if you choose to do that. And again, coachingforleaders.com slash audible is how to check that out. And by the way, uh, when you join the weekly leadership guide, you'll get access to my reader's guide listing 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others with brief summaries for me on the value of each one of those books. Also a great way to start your Audible listening. You can download that 11-page reader's guide and a nine-minute video of those book recommendations. And to get access to all of that, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and that will give you access to the weekly leadership guide with everything coming forward and a big thank you this week to jane in paris france for the very kind review on itunes jane great to chat with you over email as well in the past and also a big thanks to santiago ba in argentina i believe it's our first review from argentina thank you santiago i so appreciate that for that kind review on itunes Hey, if you would like to leave a review for the show as well, it's a huge help to continue to grow this community. Just uh, go, if you used iTunes, go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. And if you're a Stitcher listener, go to coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher, and you can leave a review either place. And thanks in advance so much for your support of the show. I so appreciate it. And I look forward to speaking with you again next Monday. Take care. <laughs>